Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hello and welcome to another edition of Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We're a podcast going beyond the bads to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories and talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. As always, I'm your co-host, Bryn Henson. Glad to have you guys along today as we're getting ready for the 2023 ILETA Conference and Expo next month in St. Louis. We're going to welcome in a guest today who is not only a charter member of ILETA, the International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association, but he's also an advisory board member and has served as a presenter there for over 10 years. But before we bring him in, allow me to introduce the host of this operation, the epitome of positivity. He is Mr. Michael Warren. How are you, sir? Man, I am fantastic. That's a heck of an introduction there, buddy. You know, I think other than calling criminals dirtbags, I've never heard you say a crossword. <laughs> yeah, we, it's a good thing you can't read my mind because there may have been a couple <laughs> that have gone through, especially yeah, as you often point out to me, it wouldn't be a podcast if there weren't technical issues. And uh, there's a lot of yeah. words that come across my mind right then that probably not very positive. <laughs> yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I'm looking forward to, to speaking with our guests, but I'm also really excited. We are coming up on the ILETA conference time. One of my favorite times of the year It's one of those weird things. It's both incredibly exhausting, but incredibly and reinvigorating once you once you're there. So why don't you go and introduce our guest and let's get to talking about things. Yeah, our guest today is a Marine Corps veteran with over 20 years of law enforcement experience, currently serving as a staff sergeant in the Denver metro area. In addition to his work with ILETA, he's also the owner and a trainer for Mental Ammo, a company offering officers training on everything from officer safety and handcuffing to use of force and instructor development. We're excited to have him with us today. Please welcome Mr. Brian Hill to the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for uh Asked me to come on. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for helping us promote past episodes. You're out there flying the Between the Lines flag. We love it. Just listened to uh, Kevin Davis the other day that was just released. Very good friend of mine, mentor of mine, and great podcast. He is the use of force guru. So anybody that has any questions on use of force, listen to that podcast that was just released and uh, reach out to Kevin Davis. I want to ask you a couple things, Brian, as we start off here today. This is a, a question that I ask sincerely because it, it always baffles me. Why the Marine Corps? Oh, come on. Hey, come on, man. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I still haven't heard a good answer for that question yet. So maybe you'll be the maybe you'll be the one. Well, there's a little story behind that. You know, uh, my dad was in the Army in Vietnam. And uh, for some reason, going up in my household, I just wasn't a military person. I, I love watching war movies with my dad on Sunday morning. I just said I, I would never go into the military. For some reason, this uh, Navy recruiter came knocking on my door wearing these bell bottoms. And I'm like, I just not wear bell bottoms. I will never. No, 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 no bell bottoms. I was in a class in high school. I think it was called Diversified Occupations. And I didn't really like the teacher. It was just boring and draining. And the Marine recruiter came to uh, school and and uh, was asking if anybody was interested in stepping out of class and talking to the Marine recruiter. And well, you know, to get out of class, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> going. <laughs> uh, that guy had me sold in about, I don't know, less than two minutes. Wow. And, uh, you know, I went home and told mom and dad, I was 17 at the time and dad was supportive and mom's like, no, you're not going to the Marine Corps. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I am. The rest is history. I, I joined the Marine Corps. I went with three of my buddies into boot camp and uh, 
planned on staying there for 20 years, spent just about seven years in. I, you know, I was on embassy duty and we had a cook and a maid and a chauffeur. And I tried, I extended twice on that glorious duty, but uh, I got orders to 29 Palms. And that was what I called, you know, the, just the most miserable place in the Marine Corps to go. It was worse than the Gulf War. And I said, nope, I, if I can't get more change, I'm, uh, I'm getting out. So I got out. You know, we've had some previous guests on this podcast. I've heard that the Navy is the best branch. I've also heard positive things about the Army. I don't I don't know if you want to fly and, and, and give your reasons why Marines are better than those. But I, I've been told some of the other branches are superior. That's just what they've said. <laughs> And did you vet those guys? Uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, what the Marine Corps has going for them, based upon what he said, is they don't wear bell bottoms. <laughs> all right. <laughs> or a dog dish on our heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what, though, Brett? Of all the answers uh, I've heard for joining the Marine Corps, uh, this one definitely uh, sticks out further than the rest. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps because I, I wanted to get out of class because <laughs> I hated the class. I was so brain dead after coming out of that class. It only took two minutes to convince me. So so were, were you a Hollywood Marine or would you go to Paris Island? I was a Hollywood Marine, went to San Diego. It was kind of weird because I went to San Diego for boot camp. I went um, to school infantry in North Carolina and then back to San Diego for barracks duty in uh, Coronado, North Island. So I was kind of back and forth across the country. That usually doesn't happen. You know, most people are kind of cautious on their spending, but I guess back in 87, it really didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Cause the commander in chief was Ronald Reagan. And my man was a big military supporter. Let's spend that money. There you go. Yeah. There you go. No regrets. If I had to do it all over again, I would go back and join the Marine Corps again. Loved it. Every minute of it. it you know, it's, it, it's one of those things. The military to me is a lot like law enforcement. You really see a cross section of society and see some of society's best that stand up and say, here am I, send me. And I, I think I think the people that serve are fantastic. And I would bet your experience is the same. You've met some lifelong friends um, along the way in the military and you keep in touch with those folks and they'll give the shirt off their back for you. One thing that I would recommend and suggest to everybody is, is keep in touch with all those folks that you've uh, made relationships in the past. I uh, lost touch with uh, one of my best friends, a little Hispanic guy. We, we call each other a bunch of uh, inappropriate words back in the day that would be, well, inappropriate today. But, um, you know, we were best friends and I uh, had a great time and lost touch with him. I've been looking for him over the, all over the years. And his last name was Villarreal and I was spelling his last name wrong. And, and I finally found him last year. When I found him, I found his obituary. Oh. So, you know, it was uh, just tough. And so I guess we're getting that age where, at least me, at that age where you're starting to lose a bunch of friends and, and family members. So all those uh, great people that influenced you in the past, those friendships that you've made, uh, make an effort to reach out and connect with those friends that you made, especially in the, in the Marine Corps, military, even in the Navy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Navy. And you know, we, we've got a couple <laughs> friends that are Navy people and, you know, it explains a lot. I'll just say that. How's that? We'll just, we'll just put that out there. Uh, 29 Palms wasn't for you. And so, you, no, not. <laughs> and, and you know what? A lot of times we have career plans that don't work out and, and that happens in law enforcement. A lot of times we have plans. You know what? I think I want to be a detective and I want to be chief of police and stuff like that. 
but they don't always work out. But you followed up and you said, hey, you know, I'd go back and do it again. And even though that part didn't work out, it still was a worthwhile experience for you because it kind of shaped who you are even today has tremendous impact on who you are and the way you do things. No, absolutely. You know, um, and there's a lot of lessons that I've learned in the Marine Corps. Some I had to learn the hard way, but most I, I kind of uh, always rose through the ranks quicker than most folks and became, uh, I was at a staff sergeant selectee when I was on the way out the door, but I was a sergeant when I left the Marines. All the experiences that I've had, I cannot say that I've had, well, there's one that I almost died in the Marine Corps, but um, that was when I hero dunker. All great experiences, you know. I've been places that most people don't go. I've been in a in, you know, in the Gulf War. I lived in Havana, Cuba, for a year. Nice. Um, Nassau, Bahamas, a few months there before I was going to Havana. And not many people get to go to Havana. My last duty station, ironically, uh, my last duty station was uh, Singapore at the embassy in Singapore. And I re-enlisted as we're coming back from the Gulf War on a Navy ship, <laughs> pulling into port in Singapore. Well, you know, I want to try to give our listeners an idea. I read Call Sign Chaos, you know, the autobiography of uh, the man, uh, General James Mattis. But he talks about in there how the Marine Corps tends to be a younger branch as far as the people who make up the branch. And he goes, imagine that we've got these young kids that make up the bulk of our force because we don't have a lot of career Marines. And so it is incumbent upon our NCOs to be the leaders that they need to be. And it sounds like you were one of those leaders because you got these young kids that have never been been away from home and they truly are the tip of the tip of the spear. As a leader, how did you go about handling those young folks? Well, you know, when I got promoted to sergeant, I, I said this exact same thing when I was promoted to sergeant in the Marine Corps and when I was promoted to sergeant in, in law enforcement. I had a question asked me both times, what does it mean to be a sergeant? As the my leader was pinning my chevrons on my collar, I said the sergeant is like the white stuff in the Oreo cookie. It keeps the the management senior um, leaders gelled with the troops, the younger new guys and girls in the uh, in the military and law enforcement. You got to know your officers. You got to know your your Marines. Know what keeps them ticking know what they like, know their family members. You know, I, a trick I learned a long time ago is I kept a, uh, a recipe box, a uh, recipe card box. And I, I don't know if they have those anymore. <laughs> it's all online now. These little recipe cards, those three by five cards. And I would keep one card for each person that was underneath me. I did this in the Marines and I did this in law enforcement and write down everything that's important that I felt was important about that individual officer or that individual Marine. And what was important was the girlfriends, the spouses, the kids, their names, uh, birth dates, anniversary dates, hobbies, and those types of things. And then when out of the blue, you just say, hey, um, go ahead and wish your uh, your wife a happy birthday today. And, and it goes a long way. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy remembered my, uh, my, my wife's birthday. And I, I think that those little things – go a long way with a lot of people. Well, I would be willing to bet that you probably saved some Marines from some nights on the couch because they may have forgotten about the wife's birthday. So you, you were doing a community service as well. It, it, especially those anniversary dates too. Yeah, so. that, that's how you stop having anniversary dates is when you forget about them. So, but I think it's important though. And, and the reason I bring that up is because law enforcement right now, as most people know, have a recruiting and retention crisis. 
at the same time, though, we seem to have become a profession that kind of degrades even our younger officers. We seem to be hypercritical of them, hypercritical of the way they are. We stereotype them, you know, the the millennials. Who, who wants to work with the millennials? Then we complain when they don't want to join our ranks or when they do join our ranks and they don't stick around. I, I thought one of the things you said there was really important. I needed to learn about them. And I think in a lot of agencies, the expectation is we want them to learn about us, but we don't care about them. And that does make a difference, don't you think? No, absolutely. I think anybody in leadership position needs to go out of their way to know their people, whether and it's not just law enforcement. I think it's just a. it should be across the board, whether you're in leadership in retail or leadership in any organization, you need to know the staff that you are leading and supporting. It goes a long way. And I think if you know them and you accept them, and I say this with Ailita all the time, we're, we're an extended family. If you make them part of your family and look at your staff as a part of your family, they become part of your family and they want to stay there. Not only know them, but learn how to talk to them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody is different. What makes me tick is Mike may tick on a different clock or something, yes. but everybody has, you know, <laughs> everybody has something that is, is just a little unique and a little bit different that makes them uh, uh, feel valued. And I think that word valued has been lost for a long time, but we need to get back, reconnect and value our employees up and down the chain of command. Everybody brings a unique perspective. Everybody has unique strengths. And I think the leader's role is to maximize the use of those strengths and those passions. Uh, listen, I, I'm all about uniformity. I mean, you know, the military tries to make things uniform. But even in that, though, there, there's a recognition that everybody has different strengths. And if we utilize those, we're going to be much better as a team than if we try and make somebody this uh, everybody exactly the same. Absolutely. You know, years ago, I ran our training department and I noticed some flaws with some instructors and not that they were bad people or I just thought this person shouldn't be teaching this topic. He'd be better teaching this topic. So I went to my boss and I said, we need to run our training department like an NFL football team. He says, well, what do you mean? I said, I think we have a quarterback playing the position of center <laughs> and it, it doesn't work just because the quarterback is in there at center. doesn't mean we can't, why can't we just move him to a different position? It made a lot of sense, but it cost a lot of money to retrain them and, and get all those certifications. And eventually we did kind of make some uh, adjustments in training. But I, I think if everybody looks at their team, whether it's in training or whatever unit you have, look at it as an NFL team. Is everybody in the right position? If you have a quarterback playing center, it's time to move them. Not that that person is, is bad. They just could be better in a different position. I'll put it differently for you. I would not serve well in the position of a hairstyle model. That's not that's not my that's not where I'm going to make a, a lot of choice. But but we tend to try to shove people into these positions that perhaps they're not best suited for is to their detriment because we're, we're setting them up for failure. But it's to the detriment of our team because we're not getting the highest quality that we could simply because uh, you know, stick. We need somebody. Stick them there. They were available, and uh, they were somewhat willing to do so. No, you're absolutely right. You hit it on the head. Just because we have an open position in a in a certain area, 
a one individual applies for that position doesn't mean if they're not qualified to do that, we shouldn't put them in there. But I hear time and time again through agencies across the country, we're so short, we need somebody in that to fill that position. And we got one person, we'll, we'll, we'll fix it. Not only are we setting them up to fail, we are setting us the agency up to fail as well. And I think we need to uh, maybe just wait until the right person comes along and keep it open before things really go to heck in a handbasket. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine it getting much worse, but whenever you say that it gets worse, but, but you know what? You, 29 palms came up and you said, heck no, I ain't doing this stuff. And, and so, so you get out of the Marine Corps. How did you come about following a career in law enforcement? Where, where did that, where did that idea come from? Well, you know, um, it actually started in the Marine Corps and, you know, my lifelong career path, my ideal job, my dream job was to be a disc jockey. Oh, wait, wait, can, can I, let me pause here for a second. Hey, look at, look at that. I was a disc jockey. <laughs> look at this guy. Right oh, here. Okay. This man with the silver voice, Brent Henson. You can live vicariously through my experience. Now I've been living through all y'all experience and now it's the reverse. Very interesting. So I, I took a wrong, I took several wrong turns in, in, you know, career path. I wasn't sure what I want to do. I knew I did not want to go to college. I hated school. I did just enough to get by in high school, which I regret now, hindsight. But I knew I didn't want to go to college. And growing up, I wanted to be a disc jockey. That would be maybe a, something for retirement, you know, part-time disc. I don't know. But anyway. I mean, I can make some calls for you <laughs> if you want me to. Sure, sure. <laughs> so... My last uh, duty station was in uh, Singapore, and we had George Bush and Barbara came by and uh, worked a lot with the Secret Service and the uh, Singaporean um, police there um, on their pre-flight, pre-entry to uh, the country. And I was fascinated by all the teamwork, the Secret Service, the Department of State um, law enforcement. And that's where I kind of really got interested in law enforcement was on embassy duty. And, and those guys, um, the teamwork that they had was phenomenal. Early on, I wanted to kind of go to the route of the CIA until I started working with some of those guys. And <laughs> I said, no, I used to have each other in the back. I don't want to. But I wanted a teamwork environment, something where everybody worked well together and, and law enforcement was it. So I, I got out of the Marines. My parents owned a grocery store in a, in a small town. I went back home, worked for them for just a brief time. And then I went to Omaha, Nebraska and worked as a security officer in a hospital setting. And I got to say, that's probably one of the best civilian jobs I ever had. The teamwork there between doctors, you know, most security departments, you, everybody hates security, but th this was a huge, it was a children's and Methodist hospital together. And and we were treated like, just like doctors, you know, we were treated well, but my goal was to get into law enforcement. So I was there for a few years and great job. And then I, I went into campus uh, law enforcement for a little bit. And then I got hired with a major city and my goal was to get on Omaha PD. I tested with them. They offered me a job after I got a job with Lincoln PD. <laughs> of course, so, timing's everything. You know, and I have a ton of friends on Omaha PD, and they're hiring again. And I'm like, oh, I'm too old. You know, I, uh, I, I guess they're hurting just like everybody else. It's hurt for bodies, but, but my ultimate goal ever since I was a, a child, I lived in Nebraska, small town kid from Nebraska. My ultimate goal was to get to to Denver, Colorado. And we came out here every year for vacation. I loved it out here. And the current agency that I've been with for over 21 years now, 
um, was hiring and I came here and my instructor background in law enforcement, I um, got right into uh, training as soon as I got hired and been here ever since. So the training part, though, what is it about training that attracts you so much? I mean, because you've been doing it for a long time now. You're one of those guys that that I can tell that's where you belong because you're still so passionate about it. There's no sign of burnout. And I'm sure there has been periods of burnout, but you're passionate about it. What was it about it that just said, man, that's where I got to be? So, uh, I mean, there's there several answers to that question, but I think the I prefer the I prefer the honest one. <laughs> <laughs> the number one answer is what really motivates me is watching people grow from value that I have added to them seeing others get better. I have coached and mentored several people that have became captains and people, you know, of rank above me. And I had no desire to do that. I just, I was happy being a a trainer. I'm still happy being a trainer. So it's, it's adding value to others that allows me to see them grow in their career path, whichever way that is. That was, that's probably the number one thing. I started training. Actually, I became a PPCT instructor back when I was working in hospital security back in mid nineties, I think that's a long time ago. Decades. So I was a PPCT instructor for many years. And shortly after I took uh, my current job, I think it was 2002, 2003. Anyway, I had a, a really good friend from, uh, from the Marine Corps. And she was in Havana, Cuba. Actually, she was in Nassau, Bahamas with me. And then she came to Havana, Cuba. And she was tall, female Marine. Uh, Melissa Schmidt was her name. Heck of a basketball player. She would school. We had a basketball court in our backyard at, at our, uh, we had a mansion in, that we lived in in Havana. Nice. And she would school every day on that basketball court. Well, I went to work one day. I used to get the Caliber Press Newsline emails that would come out and i seen a officer shot and killed in minneapolis named melissa schmidt she was one of those um, folks that i lost contact with and i'm like how many people could be named melissa schmidt so i did some calling and we, we called her frau schmidt we had a buddy that was a, a german marine and, and we, we called her frau schmidt and it was her and you know she was shot and killed. And that's when I, my training and officer safety portion kind of ramped up because I wanted to make sure that people that I trained were safe and had the knowledge to uh, maintain that sense of officer safety. So that's, that's where it really ramped up. I became, you know, I was a Krav Maga instructor, really enjoy the, the use of force, high liability, you know, mat room type stuff. As I get older, I, I still love that, but man, going through those uh, every every two years of certification for the Krav Maga instructor course, getting thrown around on that for five days a week is uh, got kind of grueling. I had to look at my other passion, and that was uh, instructor development. It's moments like that where, where you saw your former colleague involved in a situation for, where she paid the ultimate price. When you see those types of things, you, you realize that you want to have influence positive influence on those you work with going forward. But there was a time in your career where you went even beyond having influence on the people that you directly work with because you have served on some state level training committees trying to influence not just your own agency, but also the, the state's law enforcement officers. What drove you to try and expand that that sphere of influence that you had? You know, I, I, 
I don't remember how that came about. Just seeing something that, that kind of sparked my interest as a um, subject matter expert for Colorado Post. So I um, approached my chief at the time and said, hey, uh, I need to have so many hours of training in a basic academy. I said, I got those. I, and I have all the requirements. The only one thing I need is a letter from the chief saying that you support me to be on this this board. Oh, without a doubt, Brian, I support you. And so I, uh, I, I believe it's 15 or 16, maybe 15 years, I was on the uh, Colorado Post board as a subject matter expert in arrest control. And what we did there was, you know, we go out and inspect academies, make sure that everything is, is up to par with the uh, state's guidelines, rules and regulations and laws. And over the last few years, I was, uh, I was the vice chair of that committee and it just became almost a full-time job with all these new laws that passed, you know, kind of hindering law enforcement and the times that we live in just, it became a challenge because I'm working not only uh, my full-time job, but a full-time dad with uh, some kiddos with some medical problems that I need to be there and support them. And I just couldn't, uh, couldn't give the time to post. So I, 15 years, that, that was a good run. It was a great time. Made some uh, great connections, great friends with uh, the post committee. And, you know, this whole job, not this job, but life is all about building relationships and maintaining those relationships. So when you uh, expose yourself to multiple areas in law enforcement outside of your agency, you build those relationships and, and, Maybe one day you, you get a call saying, hey, would you like to come work for me? Or, you know, hey, I see you're about ready to retire. Come on over to, <laughs> come on over here. We really support law enforcement. So, you know, it's all about relationships. You know, that was uh, kind of the driving force for that. Well, that's a good segue because we have the ILEDA conference, the annual conference coming up here shortly. I said that that's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, but you, you've been at ILEDA longer than I have. Why ILEDA? For, for our listeners that maybe know nothing about ILEDA, why ILEDA? ILEDA, it is probably the best organization. It's like Disney World for law enforcement instructors. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. You go there, it's the biggest bang for your buck to get some of the best law enforcement training for instructors ever in the country, around the world. The eye is international. We have a, a huge contingent of uh, international. This year, we're going to have about a dozen Ukrainian officers at the uh, conference. We have a huge contingent of Canadians at the conference. So not only is this uh, just a United States thing, it is international. And so you have everything instructor certifications and firearms and defensive tactics to taser everything imaginable you can think of that law enforcement instructor would teach is at this conference and i believe it's you know harvey the executive director wants to keep it easily accessible to those that have some um, funding issues budget issues and so i don't think he's raised the uh, price of the conference attendance in the last several years so i, I believe it's 375 or something like that to attend. Yeah, for a week of training folks a week of training not a day a week you know the the training is phenomenal you get the world's best instructors at this conference and they're all at your level those people that you read about in all those major uh, law enforcement publications and websites that you look up to and you say, man, that guy is awesome. Well, when you get to the conference, 
he's just a peer like you or she's just a peer like you, they will sit and talk to you in the hallway for hours. If you have some questions or comments or concerns, issues going on at your agency, everybody there is everybody else. Very few, if any, egos exist at this uh, conference. You described it as Disneyland. Uh, I'm going to say it's like Comic-Con because it's like, it's like the stars all show up for this convention. But but instead of having to stand in line and pay to get their autograph, you get to go to class with them. You get to go listen to them. But perhaps even more impactful is that you sit beside them in class because they're still trying to learn. But I'm going to tell you what my Ilita moment was, and, and then I'm going to ask you what yours was. Okay, so my Ilita moment was sitting out in in the lobby of the hotel. I'm sitting there talking to this guy that I just I literally had just met. He has no problem talking. His name's Paul Hasselberger. You may know him. All right. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is larger than life. And I don't mean that in in a derogatory way. He's a fantastic guy. But we sit there and we start talking about leadership. And the next thing I know, it's like 2 a.m. And I'm like. I can't believe how quickly the time went. I can't believe how much I learned. And we weren't even in class. We're sitting in the lobby of the hotel. But then there's also this willingness. They don't hoard the information of people that are there. Hey, you know what? I'm looking for a class on this type of leadership. Hey, we know what? I wrote one. Here's a thumb drive. Here's a take, take mine. You know, like you said, like a family. You know, like family style dining. Here we go. Everybody pass it around and take a little bit. But that was where I'm like, this is the organization that I need to be significantly involved in. And so that's my I lead a moment. Do you have one, uh, an I lead a moment like that? I've got several I lead a moments. I think I have to go back to, and I don't remember what year my very first I lead a conference was. But I went to Ilita by myself. I knew nobody at Ilita. I was the only one from my agency that went. And so I, you know, ended up going there. And, and, and I was kind of an introverted type person back then, a um, little more towards the extrovert now. But I just kind of, you know, went to class. And, and I'm shocked at some of these classes. I attend Brian Willis and just some powerful instructor. I'm like, wow. You know, I went to lunch by myself and I think it was, uh, no, it was breakfast and Chris Serino sat down next to me, started chatting me up. And then next time I went to lunch by myself and I don't remember who it was, but I, I felt welcomed. And so my, I lead a moment was my first time there. First conference was everybody welcomed you and nobody is, is a loner at the conference. So if somebody sees a person sitting by themselves Somebody will come and sit with you and start chatting you up. Maybe somebody even buy you lunch or dinner or something. So, <laughs> Which is a jackpot. <laughs> but, I, but I think if there was an Ilita moment, it would have to occur not at the conference, but in a uh, downtown Denver cheesecake factory on a napkin with John Bostain. We were at a IACP, International Chiefs of Police Conference here in Denver many years ago. I don't remember what year this was. And we went out to eat dinner at the Cheesecake Factory. And he says, Brian, why aren't you teaching at the conference? And I said, what do I have to offer? I'm just this, you know, I think my exact words was, I'm just a kid from Nebraska, a small town in Nebraska. My gosh, there's the John Bostains, the Brian Willis's, all these phenomenal instructors, Alexis Artwall teaching here at the at the conference what do i have just this little no-name individual he says i think you have a lot to offer i said well what would i teach well what's your passion i said you know 
you know what we're lacking a lot in law enforcement is presentation skills, instructor development. I said, it's always been there, but the instructor development classes I went to just lack in how to present. He says, okay, well, let's, and I wish I kept that napkin. Um, <laughs> we, we jotted down a bunch of ideas. And so it was, uh, we titled it, I think, Exceptional Traits of Law Enforcement Trainers. And so that was my very first class that next year I put in the proposal and I got accepted. And I remember that first time I got accepted, I was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm like, I'm just, I, I'm nobody. Which kind of fast forward, there's a class coming up this year that I really want to go to by Kim Schlau. Oh my gosh, what's the name of the class? And just I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Oh, the imposter, instructor imposter or imposter, imposter syndrome. That's it. So I'm looking forward to that class. That year, I've been teaching every year since. Every, I lead a conference since that year. So that's since what, 2009 or 10, I think. If you run a law enforcement related podcast, it's also a great place to, to go and identify guests because just about everybody you name there we've had on uh, as a guest. But but it truly is like it's like a Comic-Con where you've got these stars that come there. It's just an amazing experience. And I think that uh, uh, this year on Sunday evening, uh, right before the conference starts, uh, one of our friends, Dwayne Wolf, is actually going to be teaching a class that's kind of going to be, hey, th this is your orientation if this is your first time coming to an ILETA conference because we want you to be able to maximize this experience. And, and the, the organization uh, that Harvey's put together, it really is about trainers helping trainers. Oh, absolutely. So anybody that's uh, listening um, to this podcast, yeah, Sunday night, introduction to ILETA conference. So whether you've been coming to the conference for years or I understand we have quite a few first-time attendees that's going to be here this this year as well so if you're there sunday night come on by sunday night and we will uh all welcome you to one of the best families in law enforcement well i'm going to give a shout out here you, you also are involved in in hosting some of these ailita live conversations that, that that you host uh with a couple other i mean i hate to use the word stars but that's what they are you know, Joe Willis and Todd Fletcher. Uh, but you've got one coming up at the end of this month where, where uh, you're going to be talking with Jason Durr. And you're going to be talking about just that, how you can make the ILETA conference as fulfilling as possible. And uh, so I would encourage our listeners to go to the ILETA Facebook page and uh, join in with that because it, it's fantastic. Even if you have been, man, you might learn some stuff that you didn't know before. But I have to throw this out there. You have said, and I've said that it's a lot like a family. And those relationships go beyond just the conference. And uh, one other thing I know about you is that you are a barbecue guy, right? <laughs> Come on, I'm don't, a don't be bashful here. You do barbecue, right? I I, uh, I have a Traeger, and I am a barbecue guy. I like to throw some pictures on face on my personal Facebook page. I know where you're going with this, I think. One of our brothers often likes to comment on said pictures of barbecue, doesn't he? He does. My, you know, really good friend, Ron Scheidt. He, uh, he's never really liked people posting pictures and always kind of digging at me when I do that. And so I always have to ensure that when I'm cooking, sometimes I forget, throw a picture on Facebook, but he's always got a comment to put on there about, oh my gosh, here we go. What's for supper tonight? <laughs> and if you, if you go a few days without it, Brian, hey, are you starving to death out there? Haven't seen any pictures lately. What are, what are you doing? You know, that's the kind of brotherhood, the sisterhood that is built by attending this, this, this conference. Those are the quality people. I mean, because he's a heck of an instructor himself. 
he, he's a pretty funny guy too, just to be honest with you. He is. And and I got a I got a I got a Ron Shite story for you. All that, right. Um, Jackpot. Really hammers home how much of a family this is. One of the characteristics of being a, a great instructor is showing vulnerability. So give me a second here to pull this together. A few years ago, my father passed away. And still tough to talk about, still tough to deal with, my best friend. And I'm sitting there, I'm standing there welcoming people into the foyer at, at my dad's funeral. I feel this tap on my shoulder. I turn around. There's Ron Shite. Never expected that. He drove hours and hours just to be there for me. So um, he's always been there for me. But that that moment, I needed that. That was a, a powerful moment. And that right there shows you how much of a family this Ilita organization is. And there's plenty more examples of, of just that around the country with many other fascinating trainers, powerful instructors that are out there helping each other. I remember I was in um, DC at police week and I was there with Doug Wiley, who at the time I believe was with police one. He's with police magazine. Now police week was winding down and we were at some famous bar there for cops. I can't remember what it was. And I got a phone call that my nephew had died and even though we wanted to be there, he, I said, I got to go back to the hotel. He came back to the hotel and sat with me for a long time. So another great example of just people at Ilita being there for you during your time of need. So I'm sure you probably got some story. Everybody's got a story of uh, hooking up with somebody outside of the conference throughout the year. But that's why I believe that this is a family. And I, I stress the importance of building those relationships and not just not just uh, communicating through Facebook once in a while with a post here and there, but picking up the phone call and, and chatting with those uh, those uh, extended family members. And because that's how I, I started off with saying it's one, I mean, you're exhausted at the end of the week, but you're exhausted in a good way because you're trying to maximize that time, you know, that, that, that face-to-face time with, with your brothers and sisters, because you're right. The training is fantastic, man. When the schedule comes out, you know, trying to plot your week and, you know, okay, I can go at this time and to go this class over here. That's awesome. But there's also that after class part that is at least as important. It's a time to be reinvigorated to remember, you know what, this is why we do what we do. So I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you know this, but as we're wrapping things up here, we're going to be at Ilita number one virtual academy who who sponsors us, who who allows Brent and Aaron and Brandon and I to do what we do here on the podcast. Uh, they're sponsoring Emerson Hour, and I've spoke about it several times on the podcast. One of my favorite times of the year, hour long. It, it's such a deep hour. But then this year, we're actually going to be doing a live version of this podcast on Tuesday night. So I would encourage our listeners who are going to be there uh, to come out for it. We'd love to see you. We'd love to be able to talk to you. It really is. It's it's a family time. And the more family time we can have, the better off we are. No, you're absolutely right. And just go back to that Emerson hour. That That's one of the most powerful hours of the whole entire week. I've had the privilege and honor to speak twice at the Emerson hour. And it, it's one of the most stressful and rewarding speeches that you can ever give. When you get the call saying, hey, would you like to speak at Emerson Hour? Oh, by the way, you can't tell anybody at all until you get up there in front of uh, on stage at Emerson Hour. So 
you got to keep this thing a secret for many months. You know this several months ahead of time, and you got to prepare this this powerful speech topic. You answer the question, what has become clear to me since the last time we have met? And that's a pretty broad, open um, statement to answer. Every year, there seems to be a theme where a lot of all the speakers seem to kind of have in a roundabout way the same topic or same theme. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's stressful. You're up there. You, you got to keep it a secret. You can't tell anybody else. And and you got to come up with this this talk. And oh, my gosh, what am I going to talk about? So and once you're done. Oh, my gosh, you get a huge sigh of relief. But it's a good thing it's on Monday night, because if it was on the last day of the, of the conference, that would be tough. So, yeah, we're just hiding it from everybody and not being able to test out, hey, what do you think about this idea? Because you you're not supposed to tell anybody. You're, you're right. So those of you that are brand new and listening, if there's one thing that you need to see at the conference, it is the Emerson Hour. Make time for that. I know a lot of people want to go out to dinner and uh, in the evenings, but my gosh, the Emerson Hour is one of the most powerful things that you can uh, experience at the uh, conference. To our listeners out there, uh, we would love for you, for you to include that as part of your schedule. Uh, we'd love to see you there. Uh, also, Tuesday night between 6 and 8 is going to be uh, – the Milo night, but uh, we are part of that this year. We're co-sponsors of that time. We would love to see you come out. And as we do this podcast, that we're going to be talking to some of the law enforcement trainer royalty, as I like to refer to them. Uh, we'd love to see everybody. But Brian, I, I appreciate you coming on with us today. Uh, I also, uh, as much as I give Marines a hard time, you know, because it's easy. I, w- I want to say thank you for your service. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I also thank you for your law enforcement service. Probably most of all, I appreciate the work you do on behalf of and for other trainers, because that, that extended reach, you know, you don't even know the impact you're having, but I know you're having an impact because you've impacted me. And I want to say thank you for that. So Ailita, I think it's needed. I hope that we are having a bunch of first-time attendees because uh, it's a valuable organization, great organization, and so I'm hoping to see a lot of people there. I'm a first-timer. I think everybody in this podcast has been to Ailita. I've never gone, and this year I'm going to be there. So I'm. You guys are talking it up. I'm. I'm really looking forward to it, and we're going to be doing some uh, live recording there, and it'll be fun to be a part of that environment because. With us doing this, we record this and we kind of edit it. So we'll be going without a net yeah. when we're at Ilea. Yeah. <laughs> See how this thing comes together. Speaking of stress, just saying. <laughs> you guys have uh, been coming to our Virtual Academy's been coming to Ilea for quite a while. And, and we thank you for all you do and all your support and positive comments about Ilea. So thank you guys for um, really plugging Ilea. And I know you guys are having an impact and probably getting us a lot more instructors to join up and maybe some more instructors to uh, come to the conference. So, so I just want to thank you. And, and even though we're, you know, bagging on the, on the Navy, but it's got to go back to, uh, I, I got to swallow a little bit of pride, but that napkin and a uh, cheesecake factory, I will sit down with uh, a guy that was in the Navy, yep. John Bostain. So I do owe the Navy some, not just for a, a ride on a boat, but for a, a napkin and some, uh, nudging to get me to where I am today. Well, I'm thankful for that. He did that as well. Cause you made an impact. 
And listen, if you guys are interested in finding out more about iLeader, we'll put a link to their website in the show notes for this episode. And also uh, Brian's website, Mental Ammo, if you guys want to find out more about that and uh, get some uh, details on his, the training that he offers, all that information is going to be right there on our website, along with uh, all past episodes and ways for you to uh, find podcast providers. You can subscribe to get brand new episodes as they come out each and every Tuesday morning. That's at Between the Lines with virtualacademy.com. Brian, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. And I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you in person up in St. Louis. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. 